we we've been i i just want to kind of get vulnerable with you guys because i feel like it's what god's asked me to do and and because that's good for me to model because <laughs> it's not my natural tendency we've been at a rough place lately Catherine and i um not not in our relationship but just in life in in walking through a lot of what god has called us to do and it's been amazing because we're seeing massive favor we're seeing massive um, growth and promises coming true and prophetic words and like support and encouragement. But at the same time, just to be honest, we're facing more attack than we probably ever have. Um, weird, unnatural discouragement. That's not our tendency. Weird blockages in, um, in provision and resources. And it's just not anything that we've experienced before to this degree. So last night, it kind of came to a head, and like we were just battered, and we just could feel, it was like wave after wave of discouragement and oppression, and just, um, I just popped on worship and like laid on the couch, and our kids kept <laughs> coming out <laughs> with, with their struggles, and it was just like one thing after another, and we just tried to engage and worship the Lord and really um, dive deep into his heart. One of the cool things that came out of this, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Every year I do a, a fast for about a week to really just hear God's heart for the year and to really hear what his word is and what he wants to do and to give me kind of the, the vision and the anchor point that I go back to throughout the whole year. And so I know a lot of people kind of pick a word. Um, for me, I, I really just dig into the, into the spirit until I hear it from him. And so... I got that, and it was a really good time, but at the same time, I was having to kind of do this fast and try to pray, and like got crazy busy with business and life, and in the middle of that fast, God was reminding me and inviting me into a place of worship, and just so you know, worship is, is what I want to talk about today, but he was, he was kind of drawing me into this place of worship and reminding me of what it was like when I would dance before him, and I know that may sound a little weird to some of you, but I used to just get alone in my room and just dance and just put worship on. And I just felt like he was calling me into that. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen during the fast because just craziness of life and trying to get my head in. And so it was interesting that last night as we were going through all of this, we're laying down. And I just asked Kath to pray for me because my spirit was just not settled. And so she prayed for me. And then she goes, and I did. I told her nothing about this, by the way, nothing about the, the that part of the fast or what God had said. So she prays for me. And then she goes, did God invite you to dance with him during your fast? <laughs> and I'm like, to get a specific word like that is incredible. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, and did you do it? Uh, no. <laughs> and she's like, I just want to remind you, I feel like he's saying that's still an open invitation that he's drawing you into. So last night at probably 1045 or so, I went down to the basement and I worship on the TV down there, and I danced. And it was painful. It was painful because the first thing that I had to dance through was me, <laughs> my junk, my fear, my struggle, my wounding. Things that, that, the thing is that when you engage your body, things that you suppress, things that you way put us push down and you just move past and live, they start to get released. And so it was hard because for the first maybe 30 minutes or so, maybe more, I was just pouring out my pain to God. And I was stuck, focused on me. 
until I hit a point where I'm on the ground crying, just getting snotty like I used to do. <laughs> and it was really good. And I know this probably sounds weird to you guys, but I was, for, for the first time in a while, I was tapping into deep emotions that I haven't really been allowing myself to process. So I'm on my face in the basement before him. And all of a sudden, it begins to shift. And it, tur- it begins to turn in my mind to, wait a minute, this really isn't about me. This doesn't have to stay about me. I need something more. And just crying out for his presence. I need you, God. There's nothing I need more than you. There's nothing else that will satisfy. There's nothing else that will sustain me. And it, and it began to shift. And it's just like you read the Psalms. It, it was interesting because I read Psalm 13 last night and it wrecked me. Because it's just David crying out. like It feels like I'm all alone, God. You're not answering me. And then he shifts it. And by the end of the Psalm, it's turned into worship. And he says, I know there is no other Savior but you. And so that, that is my life, trying to bring myself to that place more and more. And what's interesting is the more often you do it, the quicker you engage into that space. So I got to the place down there where it turned from pain and tears to joy. It turned to this place of really believing and knowing and experiencing his presence right here. And it was so interesting because even as I'm worshiping, it was like my, it turned from being about me to all of a sudden I'm here and I see him and I'm with him. And then a couple minutes later, my head goes down and I'm back on me again. And then I'm like, oh, no, you know, and it's like he's easier to get to. But I have to keep reminding myself that if I'm just engaged with him, I'm just focused on him. That's what my heart needs. My heart, my heart needs to, I need to acknowledge my pain and express it. But more than that, I need to encounter the presence of God. So I, I just want to, what I want to do is just talk a little bit about worship and what, what I have found in my life as far as how to be, gain freedom through worship. And then what I want to do is take a little bit of time in groups and just discuss together. First thing I want to say, guys, is communication. When we're speaking, when we're communicating, it's overwhelmingly nonverbal. If anybody has ever taken a communication class, communication, getting a message across, the message has a package. The package is your voice. The package is your words. The package is your body language. And so when you're delivering a message, how you say it is so much more important than the words that you're saying. So, for example... If I say to my wife, yeah, hon, I, I love you. Um, I'm listening. I'm listening to every word you're saying right now. Yep, I hear you. Every word is important. You're important to me. What you're saying is important. What am I communicating? The opposite, right? My words are going over here, but my body language and my phone and my face and my tone of voice are all communicating something different. So when we, when we look at worship, Jesus says in Matthew 15, eight verses, nine, he, uh, verses 8 and 9, he says, These people draw near to me with their mouth, but their hearts, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. The lips are saying the right things, he's saying, but the heart is not there. The heart is far from me. The heart is far from me. And I want us to think about that. When we talk about worship, when we talk about prayer, when we talk about getting into the word, how often is it that the words are coming out, but our heart is way over here? 
here's the thing. Jesus wasn't just saying that as an indictment. He's saying that as a lesson. He says, they worship me in vain. I don't know about you, but I don't want my worship to be in vain. I want my worship to be powerful and effective, which means my heart has got to be engaged in it. I've got to be connecting with him. In some areas of our lives, we have to think our ways, our, our, we have to think ourselves into a new way of living, right? So in some sense, like until I really have understa- an understanding of the goodness of God and who he is and his nature and his character and who he's designed me to be, I kind of have to get that in my mind in order to change how I live. You have to think yourself into a new way of living. But sometimes you have to live yourself into a new way of thinking or dance yourself into a new way of thinking. When we engage in worship, our mind has patterns that it's used to going to, and it's used to resisting. Our mind, by nature, doesn't necessarily want to engage in things of the Spirit. Because what happens a lot of times is in your life, you train your mind to run to, these are the thoughts that comfort me, or these are the thoughts that make me, f- that, that make me feel like everything's going to be okay. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes our thoughts will go to a place of anger and judgment and bitterness, and that's what makes us feel better. And we're like, oh, I feel better when I can blame it on somebody else. I feel better when I can just point that finger and say, I didn't have anything to do with this. This was all whoever. But our bra- we train our brains to run to physical things, to run to you know, some form of, of media or food or alcohol or whatever it is. We train ourselves, and our brain will run to that place, and that becomes our source of comfort. In order to shift the way that we think and what we run to and really get our hearts into a place of worship, sometimes you have to dance yourself into it. Sometimes you have to get to a point where you say, there's nothing, there's no amount of shame or embarrassment that I'm going to allow to keep me from the fullness of what God wants from me right now. It's incredibly difficult to retrain your mind without engaging your body and your spirit. So you guys know we're three parts. We're three-part beings. We're body, soul, and spirit. Who can, tell you, who can say what the soul is? Mind, will, and emotions. Your soul is your mind. It's your will. It's your desires. It's your, it's your decision-making. And it's your emotions, your heart, your feelings. So... Your body, soul, and spirit, it's a lot, it's difficult for most of us to get to a place where we can just engage our spirit and pull that out and manage it. And our minds often want to go to the pattern that they've always been to. So in some ways, our body can really be used. I mean, nonverbal communication, like I said, posture, body language, all of that is huge in communicating a message. But that message doesn't just get communicated to the person you're talking to. That message rebounds and communicates to your spirit and to your soul. So when I constantly, if I'm constantly talking to my wife and I'm looking at my phone and I'm not engaging her or paying attention to her, you know what happens is it trains my mind and it trains my spirit to say she's not important. If I engage my body and my eye contact and I'm connecting with her physically, it trains my mind and my spirit to say, she's valuable, she's important, she's essential. I really care about what she's saying. So if we're body, soul, and spirit, and and I want to ask this, guys. I'd love to hear some answers from you guys. How many of those 
in which of them in real life do you typically engage God with? Do you typically engage God with your spirit? Do you typically engage God with your mind, will, or emotions, or with your body? Like, what do you got? What's your norm? anybody feel like they engage in more more than one that's more difficult That's how I am. I don't know. I don't know. I think we're all different. We all function a little differently and we process a little differently. But I can say for me, dancing is not my norm. It does not feel comfortable. It is not, you know, for anybody that really knows me, I mean, try to picture it. (laughs) But I went downstairs and I put on dance with me and I'm just like, just going around. I'm, I'm making a fool of myself because my heart needed it. My body didn't like it. My mind sure was like, what are you doing? This is dumb. What if the neighbors look in the window? There's no curtains. They can see you. I don't. But my spirit was like, I can't not do this anymore. I need to engage. And my mind needed to take a backseat. So when I talk about dancing, I mean, we have to ask ourselves, what would you do for love? If you don't feel love, how do you stir it up? Because for anybody that's been, that's been married, you know you don't feel love every second of every day for your spouse. There's times where you have to kind of work on it a little bit. You have to regrow it. You have to feed it. You have to nurture it. And it's the same with our spirits. David, when they're bringing the ark into Israel, David is the king. He's the king of the whole country, and they're bringing the ark in, and he's dancing in a linen ephod, which for all intents and purposes in that culture, he's dancing naked. Like culturally that's naked. And he's dancing through the streets like a mad fool, and he's the king. And the thing is, we look at that and we're like, well, that was just David. He was just full of passion all the time. David spent a lot of his time mopey and withdrawn and not wanting to do anything. The passion wasn't just something that was just a natural thing. It was actually something that I believe he trained himself to do. When we look at at, uh, Enneagram types, you guys know I'm a four, and, and fours have a tendency not to dance around and be passionate and happy and excited. <laughs> That's not our natural strength. But it's in there if you can train yourself. And I think that David trained himself to respond to pain, to respond to struggle, to respond to strife by engaging with God in the kind of worship that made his mind uncomfortable but set his spirit free. So I want to encourage you guys, when we worship are we thinking about what people around us are going to say or what they're going to see? Are we, are, we, are we feeling shame or embarrassment about what other people are thinking? Because here's the thing. We all have a decision to make. And the decision is, how much am I going to let somebody else's opinion determine my destiny? How much am I going to let someone else's thoughts 
or, or condemnation determine how far I can go. David's wife was mocking him, and I'm sure she wasn't the only one. I'm sure that there were lots of people in Israel going, our king is a fool. This guy is an idiot. And he didn't care, and he's the king. Like, if anybody needs, like, good PR, it's the one who's in charge of everybody. (laughs) Why do we care if one person in a small group in a room looks at us I want to encourage you guys, if we can get to a point where you say that what, what is going on here is going to be subverted to what's going on in my spirit or what needs to happen in my spirit, and be willing to say, I'm going to engage my mind and my spirit by starting with my body. I want to encourage you guys. Most of you, I know, have unfinished basements or finished basements or rooms somewhere in your house where you can go to and be alone. And I just want to encourage you, try it. Try it. Because the most important thing you can do is connect with the person of Jesus. Everything that we have, every resource we have, the word of God, the Bible, worship songs, prayer, all of it is for the purpose of connecting with the person of Jesus. So reading the Bible is great, and it's important, and it's valuable, and I hope that you all are in it. However, the point of it is not to just gain knowledge. The point of it is to hit a point where you're reading and all of a sudden you have to stop because something in your spirit is clicking with it because Jesus is speaking to you. And he's in the room. And when he's in the room, all of a sudden the words on the page are not the most important thing anymore. This, these words are the most important thing. And how do you know? How many of you know I'm not belittling or diminishing the Bible I'm just saying the Bible is a means to an end. That is what Jesus said. You search the scriptures thinking you're going to find God, but I'm right here. It's a starting point, not the ending point. And so I want to encourage you guys. There's nothing more important than finding out how you can get your spirit connected to the person of Jesus. And so if that means dancing a little bit and making a fool of yourself, is it worth it? I want to ask you, is it worth it? Is it worth it to be a fool, to look like a fool, to look like an idiot, to do something anybody else would look at and be like, that makes no sense to me. I think that's ridiculous. To lose trust with other people, to gain it with the one who made you, who made your soul, who knows you, who knows what you need right now. I didn't come out of that time last night. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I didn't come out like everything's hunky-dory, everything's perfect now. But I did come out saying I encountered God. We got to press through. Something that I learned at a, at a, a, in high school, and it's kept with me, and I'm actually in a process of like being reminded of it and relearning it, is when we engage God's presence, when it's been a while, when it's not a regular routine and a habit for us, it's not easy. It takes time to break through. Like I said, it took me 30 or 40 minutes before I was able to turn my spirit and be like, you're here and I'm with you. The way I describe it, I, I grew up in Florida. So if you haven't been to the ocean, this analogy may not work for you, but hopefully it helps. If you're, if you're trying to get into the ocean, the waves are coming in and you know you take your first few steps and it's okay. But as soon as the water's up to your ankles, you're like trudging through the water to try to get out into the ocean. And finally, you hit a point where you're wading through, and then finally you hit a point where the water's about here, and you're just like free, and you can just go, and it's breakthrough. When you're first engaging your spirit and taking that time and trying to subvert your mind to your, to your spirit and getting in his presence, 
it takes time. It might take 30, 40 minutes. It might take an hour. It may take a couple weeks before you get your first real breakthrough, but it's worth it because what happens is if you make that a regular part of your life, a routine, then what's going to happen is that process of pushing through your own junk to get to the point where you're free and you're in his presence, it's going to get quicker and it's going to get quicker and it's going to get quicker and it's going to get to a point where you're in a space and all of a sudden in the space of a heartbeat, you're able to turn and you're in his presence and you're hearing his voice and you're connected with him. That is what we were made for. There's nothing else, guys. So I just want to encourage you, if you've experienced that and it's been a while, I want to encourage you, do it again. It works. You'll get there. If you've never experienced that, I want to encourage you, make it a pattern now. M decide that you're going to dance your way into it or get into the word or get worship, whatever it's going to take for you to get in his presence. And then once you get in his presence, sit there, enjoy it, absorb it, and then do it again and do it again until it becomes second nature. The world needs more than people that just know about God. They need more than people that, it, you know, it's like stats on a baseball card. Like it's good. But meeting the player, having dinner with them, like being in their home, that's different. That's what Jesus wants with us. The Bible is good. But if we're stuck on the stats and we're stuck on, a, on Jesus on a page, there's more for us and they need more. We are called. I thank you, John Allen, for that word. We are called to be bringers of revival, bringers of breakthrough to people that haven't experienced it. But we got to get breakthrough in us, right? I need to get breakthrough in me. So we got to start here. And I just want to encourage you. This is not just a like for spiritual people. This is not just for people that, that are naturally prone to long hours in prayer and worship. There is no such thing as a person that is designed to be more spiritual than someone else. It is not a thing. And it's, I feel like that's something that's been said or implied in a lot of areas that I've been in. And I just want to encourage you, there is no such thing as a person that was designed to be more spiritual or engage with God's presence more than a different type of person. It does not exist. It's for all of us. And it is the very thing you were designed for and nothing will set you free but that. <sighs> all right. <laughs> um, man, one last thing I want to say before we, we have some discussion time. We don't... Uh, love is an interesting thing because it can be taken for granted. I love my wife and I don't tell her that enough. I don't verbally communicate that enough. I, I enjoy the benefits of loving her. I enjoy the, the freedom that comes from being in a relationship with her. But I don't enough say, I love you. That's true of you guys, too. Our hearts are for you. We love you so much. We are, we, our hearts are so in love with you guys, your families, your needs. We pray for you. We love you. And I just want to say that's something we don't say enough. So I want to say it. We love you really deeply. We're so thankful for each of you guys. So, all right, I'm going to cry. <laughs> um, what I'd like to do, guys, is uh, is let's, let's kind of break out into some groups. I want to get maybe four or five people to a group, and maybe a group over here on this couch, and a group over here, and a group by the, the counter. Um, 
And, and what I want us to do is take a couple minutes to discuss what have you encountered in worship? Some of you have, have been way out there in the wilds, and some of you are just tiptoeing in. And I want to talk about where, where have you been in worship, and what's been the most common blocks for you to get into that place of freedom, and then take some time to pray for each other.